Welcome to From the Sidelines, an unfiltered look inside the sports industry, a production of the Hart School of Hospitality, Sport, and Recreation Management at James Madison University. I'm Ashley Doyle, an alumni of the Hart School. And I'm Dr. Joshua Pate, a professor in sport and recreation management at the Hart School. This podcast is presented by the Hart School Alumni Network. The purpose of the Hart School Alumni Network is to develop lifelong heartfelt connections and professional growth opportunities between students, faculty, alumni, and their communities. To learn more about how to get involved, please visit our link in our bio. Here is this month's episode. We have Brad Burgess with us who got his bachelor's in science and sport recreation management in 2014 and got his master's in sport recreation and leadership in 2016 at JMU. At JMU, they call that a double duke. And as of now, he is assistant AD for internal development at JMU Duke Club. Welcome, Brad. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Uh, and like you said, as a double duke, it means a lot to be a part of something like this and I'll be able to share my story and, and hopefully it can help uh, guide somebody or at least someone can reach out and ask some questions about what I do and uh, where I came from and, and how I got to where I am today. Happy to have you here. Um, when me and Pate were talking about having you on, for the audience, Pete is not with us for this episode. Uh, he had some personal things come up. He will be missed. We were talking and you kind of have a unique experience. Um, a lot of your experience is at JMU. Like you did, you, you know, you kind of veered off here and there, internships throughout the summer. Um, so it'll be interesting to see your point of view from just um, being at JMU because a lot of students we've interviewed with, they're like, oh, it's hard to stay at the college that you're at. Um, and so they kind of, you know, it would be interesting to see your perspective on that. But if you could just start by kind of talking about what you do as an internal development at JMU Duke Club, um, just because I think a lot of people get wrapped up in the title, you know, that could stand for a lot of things. Also, I think a lot of people don't realize what that stands for. Um, and then kind of walk us through just your journey and how you started in this industry and where you're at now. Absolutely. Uh, and it is unique uh, to be at your alma mater and um, continue your path, especially at the early parts of your career, and to be able to stay here. And um, I will talk about some of my journey and telling people to get outside your comfort zone. And hopefully they don't take that the, the wrong way, because I'm definitely in a, uh, in a comfort zone and in a place that I absolutely love. Um, but that fuels me each and every day to be able to give back to this university. Definitely bleed purple. It's a nice thing to be able to, to have uh, when you go out for fundraising and, and talking to alumni. But to discuss my current job uh, as the assistant AD for internal development, there's a lot of layers to development and fundraising. And not everyone um, knows about it. And I love being able to do things like this or go into classrooms to educate students and uh, individuals on what fundraising and what the opportunities are and how you can get involved. When you break down a fundraising office, you can look at it in, in two different ways. There's the external side, and I did that for five years. I actually worked at Western Carolina uh, as my first job uh, in North Cullowhee, North Carolina. And that was with a you know, their athletic department and was the a front line, front line fundraiser as assistant director for development and then came to JMU doing the same thing as a frontline fundraiser uh, and worked my way up uh, on that side. And that would be more of your external uh, side of development. That's carrying a portfolio. So portfolio is a group of individuals 
that you manage uh, and you work with and you try to build relationships. Relationships are the core of any fundraising effort, whether that's college athletics or any other nonprofit organization. You need to build that relationship. You need to build that trust and uh, listen, listen to donors and understand what they want and, and where they want to put their hard-earned money. You're on the road a lot uh, when you're working on the external side. You're doing face-to-face -face visits and, and meetings. Obviously, a lot of this is pre-pandemic. Uh, our fundraising efforts have changed uh, since then. That's the external side, and I spent most of my career doing that. However, at a place like James Madison in Western Carolina, you also wear different hats. Uh, even as an external development officer, you're learning about what it takes to fundraise on all the different levels. And your internal side uh, deals with how are you putting out solicitations? How are you working with your annual fund and growing that? How do you understand what your donor base and, and how they're reacting uh, to certain things, whether that's success in sports or that's events you're putting on or communications and the stories that you're telling of your student athletes? And what is your donor base understanding and what fuels them? So the internal side is working on the behind the scenes in a lot of ways. It's figuring out how do we push the story of our student athletes? How do we make sure all the great things that they're doing on and off the, the court field, uh, you name it, and putting that into a story or something that a video that something donors can digest. Would you say that that part is your solicitation piece of it. Just want to kind of rewind back to that just for our listeners who kind of don't know those terms is yeah. what is solicitation and then also touching on what's annual fund and kind of breaking that down a little more. Absolutely. So a solicitation is basically you are asking, you are putting something out there to hopefully inspire a donor, alum, a constituent of your program. So in this case, James Madison University Athletics, that's what the Duke Club does. We go out and we fundraise for our student athletes and making sure they have the best experience possible. Solicitation is going out and asking for those dollars. And typically that is a larger, when you're talking about the annual fund, that is everything that's unrestricted to athletics. And what I mean by that is people give what we call the Proud and True Fund, and that's an annual donation. It's $50 or more, and you're providing funds to help with student-athlete scholarships, to help with the general athletic budget, and making sure that this department and this athletic you know, as a whole, all of our staff and, and student-athletes are able to function. Those dollars that come in, that money that comes in, is unrestricted because our athletic department and our athletic business office, as well as our athletic director, Jeff Bourne, has the option to take those funds and basically help out with the bottom line. When you're soliciting, you're asking to help support that. So by going back to inspiring the individual donors, you want to be able to tell them what, you know, what's pulling at the heart, heartstrings. Like, what are we doing to make them feel like they, this is where they need to put their hard-earned money? Any student athlete that we have here at JMU is going to be able to tell a story about their experience that honestly, if you hear them straight from them or what we put out, that's, that's inspires me every day to work here, but it inspires a lot of our donors to give back because we have incredible student athletes. It's awesome to be able to support them. So that's, that's what that means um, from a holistic scale of how we try to push things and, and go out there. And quite frankly, you, you may have seen some things come, come about recently. Uh, only 6% of our alumni give back. And that's not just to athletics, that's all the university. And we talk about a university that has 98% of people love it uh, and they bleed purple. You know, we need to take that next step and engage individuals and tell them, look, 
you know, your university, the, the university that gave you so much or gave you a diploma, allowed you to get that first job, allowed you to take the path that you're on right now. Uh, we need to do that for the next person, the next Duke and give back. I don't care if it's athletics or not. That's what this is all about. I think too, like if every alum gave $5, we'd be fine, but that's just not the case. But some alum like myself too, who love their university, they want to give back, but they want to give back in the sense of their time, giving their time. They want to be involved, but they just don't want to give their hard-earned money. So how would you go about getting that person to almost be a little more comfortable with like, okay, yeah, like I'll give my time and then maybe I'll give my money. That's uh, that's a question we get a lot. Mm-hmm. And we certainly understand that it's it's difficult to give a financial contribution, especially at certain times in your career or life. And giving back your time is just as important. Uh, and you can do that in a lot of different ways. I know across the university, you can certainly do that um, for whether that's your major or your uh, club or, or you know club sport or even the team or division one student athletes that are former student athletes coming back and supporting by talking by uh, giving advice by you know helping the next generation get jobs where whether it's where you work or you know developing those relationships to build connections those are all important things so you can do that individually uh, by mentoring Dukes and coming back and, and speaking uh, at different engagements. You can do that by coming to events. And we have a lot of free events, whether that's athletics or not, and supporting and cheering. And that shows your support to our athletic student athletes, you know, on the field. A lot of our Olympic sports does not cost anything to come out and support. So I would encourage to bring families and make a day of it and, and do those types of things. And then you can also do it, you know, you might not be giving, but you can push the message along. Uh, and share the story. And that's just as important. You know, we talk about social media and things catching fire or going viral, whatever it may be, you know, that that takes people to push the message out there, whether you can't give it all, or you can only give in smaller increments, that makes a difference pushing that message so that other people that may be able to give uh, financially can can give that back. Uh, And really just being a good Duke, (laughs) like you have to, um, you know, some quotes that I love, but from Miracle, like the name on the front of your jersey is a heck of a lot more important than the one in the back. And you represent JMU every time you wear purple and gold, wear the the letters, the logos. And as an alum, every day that you go out to work and do what you want to do, that that brand carries with you. And if you do a good job, people are going to know, wow, that's that's a JMU alum. We want to hire another one of them. Uh, We want you to tell us where more of them are. Uh, and, and grow the base there. So you can do that all without financial, you know, giving back, but you brought up a good point, you know, the the $5, uh, a year. Yes. I said that our membership technically starts at $50, but if you look at IPTE, and I bring this up a lot, IPTE is Clemson's, um, fundraising arm and and it stands for, I pay 10 a year. That's what started, uh, their success uh, down there. And you can see how much Clemson has done in a lot of their sports. Uh, and they have the ability to, to have that buy-in and it's the pride to have that IPTE sticker on the back of your car. And we, we give out our decals as well. Uh, but you want to grow that pride. It does not take much and every little bit does. It matters. It builds up. And I think that's a misconception too, that in fundraising, you know, you want to go out and you're only looking for the person that can give a million dollars. And that's actually the, 
the rarer side of things and the more that we deal with and the more that we deal with internally too is uh, how do we push that message out and how do we gain new donors at any level uh, and that's that's a big charge of what I do and, and the team that I have working for me for sure all right go donate <laughs> yeah, yeah right right go donate. kind of walk us through uh, your journey and how you got the career that you have now at JMU so I want to start off by saying I love JMU but I didn't always want to come here that's something that if you know me now you probably didn't realize that was something that, that came out of it. Uh, but I share that because you never know where somewhere or someplace is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And I, uh, I was not a great student athlete um, out of high school, but I wanted to play golf in college. And I actually looked at some smaller division three schools and that's what I wanted to do. And I started looking in the Northeast, um, figuring out like, wow, I want to continue playing and, and this is my path. But as you started to learn about, well, if I went here, you know, the major that I want might not be exactly, but I get to play and I would cost this much money because division three, you're not getting, you're getting some academics scholarships, but it's not athletic scholarships. And you really start to learn about that process. I finally decided, listen, I'm going to come to JMU. They are taking the sport and recreation management program out of kinesiology and, and making its own school. And there were a lot of cool things that I knew my career was gonna last me a lot longer than my athletics ability. So that was something that I wanted to be a part of. And I chose JMU. Uh, I got here and started to adjust to college. I had a general education class in business and I actually failed my first class in college. Or no, failed my first test in college. Sorry, not my first class. Take that back. My first test in college. And it opened my eyes to, wow, this is, what is this? What is college? What is this adjustment? How do I learn? Taught me how to learn. I started pushing, you know, pushing forward, and, and but I was had the back of my mind. Do I want to stay here? Do I want to transfer? The biggest part of that that I want to use as a, you know, education piece is when things get hard, you sometimes try to run, uh, and you think that the grass is going to be greener, or just because you changed school, change schools, or you transfer, you change majors. Uh, those are all okay things, but it's not always going to be the answer. Yeah. Uh, and I. I stuck it out. I stayed and I ended up not, you know, filing any transfer things. I ended up getting a good grade in that class that I failed the first test. I, I started learning these things and, and realizing that JMU was the place and I just had to make a few little adjustments. So that's my entry to JMU story. But um, as we talk about my career, I wrote a paper in one of my foundations classes and I thought I wanted to be uh, uh, an agent like Jerry Maguire. And I watched that movie all the time, you know, in high school. And I thought, yeah, show me the money. That's what I want to do. And I want to wheel and deal and work with professional athletes and got through my first year or so of college. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I got to this foundations class of, Hey, write a paper about something a little bit different than what you thought and, and something you might want to do and research it and use it as a stepping stone of uh, what your path may be. And it was being a collegiate athletic director. And I took that assignment really seriously and I researched and I dug into things and I wrote this paper. It wasn't very long, but it was about being an athletic director and what it means in college sports and how you can be a part of this greater, you know, ecosystem of growing young people. And I was young at the time, like I was one of them, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. And the professional sports world didn't necessarily have that for me that growth opportunity and that camaraderie and community of a campus that's more than just 
um, the game and to cover all sports rather than one specifically. I thought that was really cool. And from there, I leaned on my professors and I asked them questions and they connected me with unbelievable people that are mentors today. I got to meet with Mr. Bourne and, and Mr. Polglace here who are administrative uh, staff members in our athletic department. They guided me and, and, you know, I asked questions and used it as informational interviews and sat in on, you know, grad classes as an undergrad just to hear some of these people talk. That's what, what blew it up to, hey, do you want to be an intern uh, later on in, in your career? Do you want to volunteer for marketing? Do you want to throw out t-shirts and pass out posters? And yes, yes, yes. These are all the answers that I absolutely wanted to be a part of that. Uh, I wanted to blow up the Duke dog. I wanted to, you know, blow the smoke when the football team runs out. These are the people you don't see, but it was, I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. And that's what fueled me each and every day. I mean, I can't remember the last time I really tailgated for a sporting event because even as an undergrad, I was working and my friends were like, what are you doing, Brad? Like, you got to come and do it. And yeah, I might've missed out on some of that. And to this day, I'd love being able to maybe hit a, a game that's away or something different to be able to experience it as a fan. But I, I loved being a part of game day and knowing that I was helping other people or I was adding to that experience of, of others. So that, that's, uh, that's how I got into this uh, and worked in a lot of different areas and, and compliance and, and things uh, and started to figure out what do I like, what do I not like? That was a catapult to my internship. Well, if you want to be an AD, you, you probably should get to know development and uh, building relationships and, and understanding where all this money comes from uh, and how to get out there and learn that part of college athletics. So I had the opportunity to go to Purdue and do a summer for my internship after my, my junior year of college. The interesting thing about that was I was in a fraternity here at JMU and at a national conference for my fraternity, I just started talking to a brother that went to Purdue and he said, hey, I'm really connected in the athletic department. Do you want me to pull some strings and see if we can set up an internship for the summer? And I was like, absolutely. Great. So you never know. It could be a social organization. It could be a volunteer opportunity where it connects you to something else that you want. That was one of the coolest things to, to have this person advocate for me who I met and didn't know them for very long, but we were fraternity brothers and we were bonded that way. And uh, he went to, he was older than me and, and he had done a lot of things with the athletic department. And I was working for the John Purdue Club in their fundraising arm and learned a lot that summer. The cool thing about being there too was the fact that they wanted me to learn from the department as a whole because it was the summer. I wasn't working games necessarily. They wanted me to um, talk to everyone in the athletic department. And I got the opportunity to talk to their athletic director at the time, their facilities, their compliance, their business office, their marketing, their ticket office. One of the coolest things, and this is where my, my path sort of pivots to, was they have the John Wooden Leadership Institute at Purdue. A lot of people think of John Wooden as, you know, iconic coach of UCLA, but he played at Purdue. So they, they are big advocates of the leadership pyramid and, and what he teaches. I learned so much about student athlete leadership development, going back to why do I want to work in college athletics? It's all about the student athlete and how can we change their life to make their experience that much better? And that's a holistic thing. That's just as much off the field and court as it is as on. Learning about that and gaining a lot of that information I brought that back thinking, hey, I just did a summer of development. Now I've learned about this really cool niche that is very specific that I know we do a little bit of at JMU, but how can we do it better? Mm -hmm. And here I am, a you know, 
after my junior year of college and I'm thinking I want to walk in and, and tell the athletic director and deputy athletic director about this program at Purdue thinking, yeah, we're, we're going to do this here. Like, this is going to be awesome. I, I don't know where I, I pulled some of that confidence, but I, I did and I had the opportunity and, and luckily I'd build some of that trust uh, and that relationship in them that they, they took the meeting and I provided them what was going on. And I didn't know this, but behind the scenes, that was something that uh, Mr. Bourne and the administration had really wanted to create. Uh, we talk about being the model of the NCAA experience here at JMU. Um, that's a big part of it is leadership development. And I was fortunate that I was able to take a senior seminar class that was just me and Professor Marin. And my whole class that spring semester of senior year was to develop research and talk about why this program would work at JMU and what other schools beyond Purdue do it the best. And I presented at the capstone of that uh, class that was created for me was, you know, presenting to the admin team in athletics as a senior in college. And because of that research and, and how much, uh, you know, that came about and was able to uh, push that information, I was able to have a graduate assistantship created that was for the leadership program. Uh, and that's how I became, you know, able to stay here for two more years and go to grad school and build on that development of that program. And I'm excited to say that after those two years and what would have been, you know, two and a half, three years of research, uh, that is now what we call Duke's Lead. And it's, I'm incredibly proud to see that come to fruition and be a part of uh, the student athlete experience here. And, you know, I was able to be a part of that at the ground level. And then, you know, you get to the end of graduating and you think, well, all right, well, do I want to go into fundraising? Do I want to be part of leadership development at other schools? Like, where am I at here? And you throw another wrench in there that not everyone uh, knows about me is I, throughout this, I actually worked a lot with NURSA, campus recreation. And I was on their strategic leadership and, and values commission um, through NURSA because of my work as an undergrad in uh, the sport clubs. I was a sport club council president. And that helped me understand like, how, what is it like to be an AD? You know, you're managing clubs and uh, they're all sports teams. They all have the same, you know, needs and, and wants as division one uh, level. It's just a little bit smaller scale, but you're doing a lot of the same things. And uh, I was able to get, be a part of that. And so now I'm, I'm at a crossroads of, okay, do I go back to campus rec? Do I do the leadership stuff? Do I do uh, fundraising or, or, you know, what, what is that path? And I applied to all of those jobs and I applied to internships because you can't, you know, you're never, you're never above anything. No. You, you have to apply to everything and take your shot and see what happens. I went through all that and trials and tribulations and, and self-reflecting. I got the opportunity to, to work at Western Carolina as a frontline fundraiser. That's what put me on the path of development. I made the decision and said, this is where I think I need to be. Uh, in order to, to eventually become an athletic director. This is where I think my personality fits in and going out and meeting people and building relationships. Every day is extremely different and you have a lot of different conversations. That would led me to back to JMU. And I always say Western Carolina, it was in Cullowee, North Carolina. It was a place I'd never been before. I was able to, to be offered the job on my drive back. Uh, so I was fortunate. It does not always happen like that, but you take a call and you have to make a life-changing decision. At the time, I was dating my now wife, and I knew I was actually going to propose a few months later, but she had no idea. 
So I'm trying to factor these decisions in without telling her um, <laughs> what's going on and, and where, why I'm thinking what I'm thinking and uh, what I'm doing. And I also knew that, hey, if I, if I wanted to support my, my eventual you know, family and start my career, I, I needed to take this job. And it might have been somewhere that was outside my comfort zone, but I knew I needed to do it. And I honestly, that was one of the best things for me, uh, going out and, and not knowing anybody, but learning and being there on my own. I was only there for a year. And I, I always tell people too, that they were unbelievable. And I loved every moment of it. You know, I was far away from family. That was the toughest part. But if it wasn't for JMU and, and getting this opportunity back here, I probably still would be down there um, in, in some capacity because that that's a great school and, and a lot of great donors and great people. And that's important. You have to know who you are and you have to know when you're working for somebody or a group of people or a donor base or a culture uh, that it's the right fit for you. And yeah, so here I am uh, you know, working in, in development and uh, gaining that experience as a frontline fundraiser and, and then making the switch to uh, more internal development, managing all of our events, managing our, you know, our annual fund. We have a director of the annual fund um, that does a lot of our day-to-day -day stuff, but air traffic control, talking through that and, and figuring out what we need to do next in our stewardship. And uh, we also have all of our um, gift processing. So when gifts come in and all of our background systems and people have talked about CRMs, I'm sure before, you know, what we need to manage all of our donors and, and how we have that information and what that looks like. Uh, that's all under, you know, the internal side of things. And pointing to on a couple of things you had mentioned is um, Duke's lead, the leadership program, um, Dallas Jackson, um, we had him on, who's a graduate assistant, um, and just being able to see what he's done. Like, going back to your experience in your junior year, you came in and was like, oh, I have this idea. But I think Duke's lead is so still so new. There's so many other programs. It's like he added like 15 other things. Having, being able to be one, comfortable with that, but two, being like, hey, I have this idea. Let's see if it works. And everyone's like, yeah, sure, let's go with it. So I think that's cool that like you had that experience at such a young age. And I think too, it speaks volumes to like kids, not kids, I don't want to say kids, but young adults mm -hmm. who are in undergrad or even in grad school, they're like, hey, I have this idea. Grab the confidence from wherever it comes from, be like, yes. But I think too, that speaks volumes to just JMU and the culture and community that it is. Again, I was a pessimist when I started, but now here I am bleeding purple as well. And like, I had an idea and Pate was behind me on it. And here we are doing that. It's those things of just, I think what you're saying too is, being able to build that support you have around you, but also recognizing like, hey, if it goes, great. If not, it's okay. Ended up going in your favor. And I think a lot of people need to realize as students in this industry, when you get into it, you gotta speak up and use your voice. And that's another thing taking from Colleen's podcast is she was like, I just use my voice. Like I made sure it was heard. And it's like, just make sure like someone's hearing you like be and be okay with there's a no. Okay, great. But more than likely, it's not going to be in this industry. Like everyone wants to help someone get somewhere because we all know we need the help, especially now. So I think you hit on a lot of great points that have already been talked about, but too, like, I think students just need to get more of that confidence. Um, and you said, you're like, I don't know where it came from, but hopefully <laughs> like, 
hopefully you could just be like, yeah, just go for it. See what happens. Um, and I think a lot of students sometimes are a little afraid to just kind of step out of that comfort zone a little more um, and just be. Absolutely. And in fundraising, we ask a lot of times for money every single day. Mm-hmm. And we are told no more than not. And, and that's not just fundraising, but I say that because you have to get used to hearing no, yep. um, because that's going to help you get used to asking yep. and putting it out there. Um, the worst thing, I mean, no is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to hear. It's also not a bad thing for you to say too, if you, if you need to. Uh, I've learned that over the years as well. No can be powerful in, in both a positive and, and negative way to, to push you along, but also control uh, what you got going on. And I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on life, uh, work-life balance here at some point during the podcast. Yeah, we'll touch on <laughs> for sure. I think it's one, like when you say like asking for money, when I was a graduate assistant with you guys, we had a call. And I was like, you want me to do what? And I think, the, I think my story to this day is everyone's like, well, how are you asking for money? And I'm like, oh, I'm fine now. And they're like, well, how much have you raised before? And I asked, I was like, well, I've called a lady before and she was in a meeting and she asked how much she gave and then gave like a thousand more than she gave last year. And I was very shocked. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she's like, yeah, I'll give this. And I was like, okay great I wrote it down and then I'm running down the hallway to all of you in the office and I'm like this just happened and they were like what I'm like I I don't know I don't know what happened (laughs) asking sometimes it's just picking up the phone and calling that's what I tell people I'm like you never know what's gonna happen because I still to this day have no idea how it happened (laughs) well you're absolutely right Ashley I mean and that's the fun part about being you know in this office and being a part of that team and um, we love the fact that anyone can, you know, anyone can pick up the phone here and everyone does get a chance to because of us being all over the place and we're all capable of taking in money and you just need to be friendly and listen and, and hear whoever's out on the phone and, and ask them what they want, want to do and what they have questions about. And like you said, I mean, you did it and it was someone calling in and you closed it. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Thank you for, for always I mean, doing that. Yeah, I think like those are those experiences of like, you get, sure ask for money. I don't know. Like, yeah, great. Right. You get a story like mine sometimes. So kind of pivoting off of that, you guys had a big year in general um, this past year, but also just putting in with COVID and kind of walk us through, um, you know, we are still in a pandemic, we're still dealing with it. And I think, you know, um, just talking with Colleen and how University of Maryland went through it. And then um, just talking with Dallas and being a part of with them um, as student athletes, um, I got to experience firsthand what it was like for them to go through it in 2020. Um, and just like the hit you guys took in general as an industry, but also I don't really want to focus on the 2020 part anymore just because it's so far behind us. You guys had such a big year in 2021, almost coming off of the pandemic in the sense of we could open up a little more and you guys opened up a new stadium um, mm-hmm. during this crazy time. But also now transitioning from will be transitioning from the CAA to the Sunbelt all in this like for this crazy world we live in so I guess kind of if you could share with us like how was all of that experience on top of hey you're also in a global pandemic (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, it's crazy to think, and I've been part of JMU, whether that's a student fan or now employee uh, since 2010. And if you had told me all of this stuff was going to happen, even in 10 years, I would have told you, oh my gosh, that, that's crazy. I would never believe that with game days and, uh, you know, college game day coming twice and national championships and lacrosse and, and football and um, going to the College World Series uh, this past year in softball. I mean, these things are unbelievable and they're life-changing moments for our university. And most of that stuff happened in the last five or six. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we're talking about the last year, year and a half, two years. And like you mentioned, we opened a brand new state-of-the-art basketball facility at the Atlantic Union Bank Center. And it's absolutely incredible. And we were so hyped and ready to go and selling tickets. We have courtside, we have a, you know, a Strickler courtside lounge. We have a club, a Campanelli club, and, you know, all these different experiences with a video board and these things and ribbon boards and all these things that we never had before. We sell all these tickets in 2019 and, you know, starting in 2020 gearing up and boom, literally the lights go out. You open this arena to limited fans I and mean, we had probably couple hundred people in there, including staff and players, you know, in that number, that was, it was so eerie um, to see that in a 8,500 seat arena and there's 200 people in there and you have this grand event. It's a double header. You have you know, men's and women's playing on the same day. The arena was unbelievable, but it, it just made you picture what this could be. And I'm glad I was able to be a part of it, but the cherry on top of everything was having UVA come both men and women, because the women's game was actually our first game in here with full capacity ability. And we had a great crowd and the students came out and it was unbelievable. And then UVA men coming in and having a complete, you know, our first ever full sellout, having a packed house of students then too. It's night and day from the first game in the arena to also going back to the convocation center. And it really brings us back. I, I was not here. Uh, I was not alive uh, in the time of the electric zoo, you know, dating my, you know, showing my young uh, career here, but the people that tell us about what it was like to be a part of the electric, electric zoo and what we experienced in the men's and women's games of this season sounds like that's what it was like. The way the, the arena is designed, I mean, it is loud. And you heard Tony Bennett and some of his players say after the game, well, this rivals a lot of the ACC uh, venues that they go to. And that's a huge compliment to have people like that make those statements. And it has to do with our fans and has to do with our students. I mean, they came out in full force and they made that place um, loud and they made that a tradition. You know, I, the last few games, we've been missing our students because they've been on break and it's noticeable. You know, our fans come out and Again, creeping back to the pandemic, it's the Omicron is coming back and some people are not as comfortable and, and we continue to obviously put our best foot forward to make sure the university and all of our policies and, and things are in accordance to the you know, CDC and, and what our university needs to do to make sure people that come into the arena feel safe and um, we're doing all that we can, but we also want to make sure that the experience is good for everyone, both the patron and the student athletes. And, our students make a huge impact on that. Our pet band makes a huge impact on that. And it's incredible. And, and we talk about, too, the premium spaces I mentioned. To be able to sell that and have donors and fans be a part of that, I mean, that is absolutely a game changer for our fundraising efforts, but also the ability to say, hey, come to a basketball game 
and you get to have all these different perks. Uh, courtside seats, I mean, people sit down there and they can't believe it if they've never done it before. You are right in the action. And unfortunately, you know, balls are coming your way. You all, your head's always got to be on a swivel. You know, you, you can bring your drinks and food out there, but you, I think the first game, chicken nuggets were flying everywhere uh, because someone ran into the seats. And, and that's what happens. But that's the experience that a lot of people want. And that, a new, that new arena uh, is able to, to bring that out uh, in our fans. And it wouldn't be here without the support of our donors and the, the people who, whose names are around the arena, as you see the naming rights and um, the people that did our charter wall and uh, anyone else that has supported the project. And uh, that's, that's an important thing. It takes, takes a village to be able to put something like that together and, and to have it on campus that's walkable for students is absolutely uh, incredible. So that, that's the arena piece. I mean, pandemic, it's been a challenge. Yeah. Testing uh, costs, fundraising costs when you don't have seasons like we did in 2020. You know, our fundraising went down about $1.4 million in that year. Our testing costs were about $1.2 million and constantly rising. That's a number that we had in the very beginning. I can't even, I don't even know what that number would look like now. And then ticket revenue, that's about $3 million uh, that we lost because we had to pivot and switch or have limited seating. So those are all headwinds that we're dealing with from a fundraising standpoint that the pandemic brings on uh, that you want you know, you want butts and seats. You want people there to experience that because where were you the, the night we beat, you know, UVA for the first time ever in men's basketball? Uh, people are talking about that. And that leads to an experience and an inspiration that creates you know, fundraising opportunities. You know, that leads right into the Sunbelt. Uh, the Sunbelt Conference is going to be an awesome opportunity for us. This is something that, you know, Mr. Bourne and the administrative staff are we're constantly looking at constantly evaluating over the years and you obviously have to be invited for these things and it has to be the right time to not feel like i'm in a better place to have sat and learned over the last few years even as a student from an administration that truly understands what timing and the importance of time because this doesn't work if it happened two years ago or if some schools don't come together that are regional rivals that can create the regionalized schedules and the you know excitement like an ODU or Marshall uh, are coming in to to the Sun Belt with us. You know those are all important markers uh, to help make these decisions. That's a big part of, of why this move worked out, and, and we're very fortunate to be a part of it. And we're gonna tap into as much fundraising as we can uh, regarding the Sun Belt move because yes, there are some new revenue streams uh, that come from being in a new conference with new opportunity, but there's also uh, some new revenue uh, or new expenses that come into play that we need to consider and make sure that our teams are not only entering into the Sun Belt, uh, but they're competing at the highest level in the Sun Belt. And that's a, a misconception too. Like we don't just make this move to say, oh, cool, we're FBS now, uh, and we've been Division One. You know, if you have, if you don't follow uh, athletics, you know, we've been Division One in everything this whole time. So we're not necessarily moving uh, in that realm for all of our other sports, but we're moving to the FBS level, and we were Division One, you know, FCS for football. But moving to the Sun Belt and having football be a part of the FBS level and having all of our sports uh, be competitive is is extremely important to us, and and we want to go in and, and make sure that we're able to compete at the highest level and, and win championships and go on to NCAAs just like we did in the Colonial. Yeah. 
that was going to be, that was one of my questions to follow up to is kind of, I don't think people realize how much work revenue and it takes to move conferences or even, I guess, move up a level, you could say. There is losses on JMU, JMU's end in the sense of money, finance. I feel like we're moving, you're moving up a step. You're, you know, in a bigger limelight and a bigger scale now. So I, how I am picturing it, and I, again, I don't know, never been a part of it. It is more now, more on you guys too, to be like, hey, like we actually now need more money. The annual fund, like our goal has to now be even bigger finance wise. Um, And I think people don't realize that sometimes of like, oh, like, no, we had to pay this. Now we have to pay this. Like the differential it's going to be come next year and the following years to come, especially now too, not adding to your stress. Take 2020 into example, 2020, everyone lost revenue. Now you're 2021. You guys did do really well sports-wise. We did do really well sports-wise, but you're still falling back on your 2020 you're probably still a little behind and now adding right. on to Sunbelt Conference, hey, you got to now do this and you owe us this. And it's like, okay, great. Sure. <laughs> we'll work on it. You know, right. so I want to uh, put that into the spotlight too of like people really need to consider like it's not just like, oh, we're doing it for championships or a better seed or whatever. Like there's a lot of financial things that go into that decision as well. Absolutely. Uh, and the finances were a big reason why a move is or is not able to be made. And now I wasn't necessarily in the room when all those conversations are being had, but our business office would, and our foundation, as well as the administration was digging deep into all of those projections and what that looks like. And a big factor of that is the annual fund and our fundraising overall for the Duke Club has to go up every single year. And it has to go up at a higher clip than we've done before. Mm-hmm. And that 6% number that I talked about, that needs to change. It's about growing the base. People just need to participate. And we need to have uh, you know, that culture of giving back, growing philanthropic mindset of JMU alumni and JMU fans. Because you, it's not sustainable without that. And that's our biggest push. We're in the Duke's Rise campaign, rising to the next level. It's rising to the occasion uh, and it's rising as a uh, you know, Duke Club member or casual fan to be that next level as, as a donor or growing your, your donation uh, as a whole. And when you look at, you, you hope revenue goes up because you're, you're playing some other guarantee games, uh, maybe some teams coming in, but you're also going to have to probably pay uh, teams to come play you. Uh, from time to time, uh, just like we were a team that got paid to be an FCS school playing a FBS school, and, and now you're in that realm. Uh, so those are costs. And even though ESPN has a deal with the Sunbelt Conference, you know, those are some new revenues that could come in. But what does that look like? And how does that continue to grow? It's certainly not uh, as much as an ACC or uh, some other uh, conferences that are bigger, but it's different than uh, the Colonial. You also have revenue share when it comes to what teams in your conference are doing. So just like the Colonial, if you go into the NCAA tournament and as you progress in, in men's and women's basketball, how does that work uh, in revenue that comes in? Um, 
and so th these are the things that, that you do think about and, and putting yourself into uh, a good good portion, you know, good place uh, for your university to grow. And you don't want to be complacent in any way. Uh, and you want to make sure you eval evaluate those things. And it's, yeah. uh, it's daunting, um, but it's a challenge. And we want to continue to be um, going, you know, going for that challenge and, and meeting that challenge and exceeding those goals. Uh, but it is certainly... Uh, it is certainly a task where you flip the switch and now you're in this conference and, hey, we have to do this. Uh, yeah. We actually, you know, we raised uh, um, a fair amount of money in, in about a week when we made that, that change and flipped that switch because donors were excited and we had to go out there and make sure that we took advantage of that and educated them on our needs. And there's a lot of expenses when you exit and enter other conferences. And um, those are the things that we need to make sure people understood. And, we also need to make sure that we evaluate all of our stuff top to bottom and how does that match up to our new peers. We have always held ourselves to a high standard that our peers were not only in our conference, but they were all over because we wanted to be at that next level. So we were doing this for a while um, in evaluating who we are and who we want to be um, compared to. It was, it was a lot of people. CAA had, had a lot. I know we were comparing ourselves to CAA, but everyone else as well. Um, and that helped us align to the Sun Belt and, and be where we need to be right now. But we also have a long way to go. Yeah. So does that add? So I don't know how this works, but I know yeah. if, say, football, for example, I don't really like using football, but it's a big part of, especially thinking Title IX. I know with FBS, FCS, there's different restrictions for the roster size. Correct. So does that add, does that change sports-wise too and talking Title IX? Does that kind of shift for you guys going into next season as well? Or so that, Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we are compliant now and we will be compliant moving forward even with yeah. the additions of the football scholarships. So okay. there is, uh, there's no more significant changes. I know in the early 2000s, uh, we did cut some sports here at JMU uh, mm -hmm. to be in compliance. Uh, and some other reasons for budgetary reasons as well. But um, we are in a really good place and there won't be anything uh, drastic, you know, with those changes or anything really uh, that would concern Title IX specifically. So, and that's a testament to, you know, our school and um, everyone that, that's here that works in the Title IX office and, you know, our SWA and, and making sure that we're in compliance. Uh, compliance with Title IX and uh, continue to be year after year. That's something that's constantly evaluated. Uh, I don't think people realize that, that we pride ourselves in making sure that we are equitable across the board in all of our sports. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, the move may change us from FCS to FBS football, but that doesn't change that we want all of our Olympic sports, uh, men's or women's, to compete and go out there and have the resources that they need. You know, there are a lot of schools and I'm not trying to bash on anybody or, or point and I won't give any examples, but there's a lot of schools that they have to focus only on their revenue sports yep. and some of their other sports don't get to um, be in the limelight or don't get all the resources. And, and that's because of um, the focus of, of that. And I'm proud to work at, at JMU and, and have this be an institution that wants every sport to be successful and give them what they need. And that's why you see a lacrosse national championship. That's why you see us going to the Women's College World Series um, because of, the, of great coaching, great student athletes, but also we believe in it and we back them. Yeah, and I think it's just cool touching on the softball. Like people like had no idea who JMU, 
who JMU was. And now it's like that everyone's like, oh, the softball team. I'm like, you know, that's really nice to hear. <laughs> that's good. They're good to know because some colleges, they are defined by their one sport or whatever. And so it's, it's nice to have like that. I'm missing the word, but difference it's not that's not the one I'm looking for but get where I'm going with this yeah no and and I had the I was fortunate enough to go out there for the women's college world series in Oklahoma City and it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever been a part of uh just as a sports fan but also as a you know JMU um fan and employee it was uh, awesome to see how excited our team was to be there but mm-hmm. also you could see it in their eyes and you knew them that they knew they were supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. You talk about Cinderella, you talk about, oh my gosh, JMU, the small school. We're not really a small school. We had been in the Super Regional multiple times in the years past. We were knocking on the door of the college, Women's College World Series, and we finally got our chance to, to get there. And I don't think it'll be our last uh, by any means. And, and that's the coolest part is that they appreciated it. They knew where they came from, but they also knew they belonged. And I, now the nation knows, you know, who we are. Uh, softball is a, you know, wider watch sport, um, which is really cool. So the impressions from social media and the fact that it's over a period of time, the Women's College World Series is like the College World Series uh, for baseball. It's not like an FCS championship where it's one game. You know, we're, the storyline, uh, and it's a time of year where that is a big focus of what's going on in sports. And, and that's awesome. Uh, to have that uh, exposure for our our university and you know we talk about the front porch uh, athletics being the front porch that's the reason why when your sports teams have that success it's the average fan that's you know maybe on the west coast or a fan of the sport and then they google jmu and they're starting to realize oh wow i didn't realize that this biology program nursing program this student you know uh the teaching program at jmu is, is awesome i got to the website because of an athletic impression or a tweet or something that happened from athletics. Now that, that that's just a huge opportunity to open the door. And that's how I see it. Now mm. our academics are unbelievable, but you have to, to know that this is why we're called the front porch and the success. And we continue to fundraise for our opportunities, our student athlete opportunities, they're going to continue to deliver. And now your, uh, diploma from JMU is worth a lot more because people know about JMU from all over and it's a it's a unique uh, scenario but that's something I truly believe in is why JMU continues to be successful uh is you know athletics continues to succeed and and be our brand be our ambassador it's funny you say that because every like my parents but of course you're now a parent you'll brag about your daughter for the rest right right so my parents like people they still live in Mississippi and I went to high school there and so they'll ask like oh how's Ashley doing and they'll tell her they'll my mom or dad will say oh she like you know she come up in conversation like oh yeah she did her undergrad at Maryland and she did her grad school at JMU they're like oh my god those are great schools I'm like they're just school like they're university (laughs) and but like I don't think about it and like you saying that I'm like yeah well they're gonna look like the school matters and like what it does as a whole matters too. So I think that's important, but please don't pick a school because of their name. Pick it because of academic. <laughs> please. Absolutely. No, yeah. and that's what I mean by that is, is yeah. hopefully 
um, what we do here in athletics and the way we grow our brand will allow you people to go and find out how unbelievable our academics are as they do incredible things. Um, and that's, yeah, don't do it just because of a name, but our name is certainly growing and our brand right. is certainly growing. Which is um, <laughs> and and it's, it's cool too. It's also, I, I think this is, I know I've been doing shameless plugs for the Duke Club and giving back, but these are the stories that aren't necessarily uh, shared. We had somebody after the College World Series from Alabama that called us, and I believe they were a fan of Alabama um, or just a fan of softball, and they wanted to donate to our program or to you know to the Duke Club just because of the success and, and how much passion that our team had and what it inspired this the whole softball world. And so you're having someone that has no connection to JMU get inspired by our run in the Women's College World Series, calling in to give us a donation. And 6% of the people that know who we are are the only people that give back. So it's, it's unique. Like that's what should fire you up is that other people are giving back to a school that they just fell in love with because of who we are and, and how we showcase and handle ourselves as, uh, as people. That, that, that should make you want to do it if you lived it yourself. Right. No, for sure. So kind of transitioning to more yeah. personal more personal things, uh, not professional. You clearly, you mentioned your wife. Um, I kind of plugged your daughter there. Um, <laughs> and this is kind of like a new family for you in a sense, adding that into it, but also adding more, I guess, of your role as you move up into seniority leadership as well is work-life balance. Um, and I know you've listened to Colleen's episode too, and just her conversation, especially when she was talking about the pandemic, she was like, right. we're on all the time. And so, uh, and Dallas is, you know, we asked him because there is this stigma a lot around males in general too of, you know, I asked him like mental health and you guys not feeling that you can talk about it or you're struggling or whatever, just in general, student athletes feel they can't share that. And so he talks a lot about that. And we asked them, you know, like, how do you balance all of it? With you, there is a lot of responsibility held on you, especially all the things we've talked about and transitioning into the, especially getting ready for the new year that comes on um, in August for you guys. And so how do you balance it? Like, what is, like, what's the work-life balance? Because there's also to this stigma of 24-7 in sport. Right. You can never turn it off. I'm a stickler for that. I have learned my boundaries and I've put boundaries in place. So kind of just talking about that a lot because you have seen a lot of people because of the pandemic transition out of this industry and be like, I can't do it. I'm, I'm out. So I know that's like a loaded question. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, it, I'm sure a lot of people would say this and Colleen mentioned it too. It's difficult. It is not an easy thing. Um, you are always on you specifically in donor relations and fundraising in the Duke club donors have access to you 24 seven and they have questions 24 seven. You need to be able to steward them or answer that question. You never know when you pick up the phone, if they're going to give you that, that extra thousand dollars and you have to be readily available for that. And that's a big part of this job. And so that's definitely something, um, on one side, yes, uh, you want to be available, but you have to make yourself available for your family. And it sounds bad that you like you have to make yourself because it, it sounds like you 
not wanting to. And, and that's not the case at all. It's you almost want to do that more. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just getting lost in everything. And you're trying to move up in your career and you're trying to do things. Um, and I try to push myself to know that I can always be a better husband. I can always be a better father. My daughter's 11 months old. I've been married for uh, about three and a half years, almost four years now. And I know that I can always do that better. And even if I get better, I can always be better after that. You're always chasing something because barring you being at home all the time, you're going to be away. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize that. And you have to know what are your goals? What are little goals that you can do each and every day? Now, I try to be home for my daughter, you know, right before she goes to bed. Uh, because if I leave, you know, I get to see her in the morning for a little bit before I go to work. She's up, you know, she goes to bed fairly early. So if I'm working late or if I have to work a basketball game and that rolls right in after, um, after the work day itself, because a lot of times we work the whole work day and then we work basketball. I want to make sure I'm either there uh, for her to go to bed every night or I'm there for part of the day. Oh, I can't make it right after for her going to bed, but can I go home for lunch? And I have the pleasure of being in Harrisonburg, which I'm, you know, it's seven minutes from my house. So I, I can do that, go home for lunch and I can spend a little bit of time uh, seeing, you know, Catherine and, and Eloise, my daughter. And, um, but you have to be intentional about it. I know there are times where I'm not as intentional about it as I need to be. And family is everything to me. And we talk about crossroads and we talk about maybe different avenues or or places that you may go outside of sport, or if it's in sport, are there different layers that have better work-life balance? There are days where you have to sit down with your family and say, what does this look like for us? You know, is this something that we want to do? Is this something that's best for our family? Do I need to be better? Do I need to, you know, ask for more time off? You have to have a really good boss and a really great team because trust is everything. The pandemic, working from home, that was a lot of trust. Going into this new role where I'm managing more people and looking at our internal staff, I have to be able to trust them. I have to know that, hey, I got to take family time right now. You may be in the office or vice versa. You go take family time. I'm in the office because I know you got my back later on that we're going to make sure our work gets done and that we pick it up. I'm fortunate that JMU as a whole and the Duke Club, you know, my boss and Cliff Wood and Uh, all of our team here, they understand that. They understand family. We grind together, but we also try to put, you know, when we're off, we're off. If there's a phone call, we know once a day or, you know, we put our phone away for certain times. You have to understand that balance and and realize what does that take for you? I knew people that put their phone away for an hour during dinner, you know, and that time was absolutely off their grid or they went away and they knew that, I, I, I check my email in the morning or, or at night and everyone on staff knows that there's two times of the day, but in the middle of the day, like barring an extreme emergency, depending on where you are in your, uh, your level of uh, uh, the department, you know, those are the types of things that you have to do and you have to get away. And we talk about having a fair amount of time at a public institution. They give it to us, but can we take it? Um, you have to go on vacation, do these types of things. And the industry is changing a little bit. The pandemic, you know, with a silver lining, the pandemic showed us that we can work from home. We can take a day off during the week and be successful the other four days. Right. Um, we can leave early on a Friday, knowing that we're going to work a game day on Saturday, uh, all day for football. I think Cliff has instilled that. Uh, I've tried to instill that. You know, if someone 
someone's not feeling well, they know it might be the cold, it might be COVID. So it's like, right. how do you go through those processes and know that if you're not feeling well, don't come to work. And before it seemed like everywhere, this wasn't just Jane Wheel. Oh, it's just a cold. I can do this. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. You might be able to work from home or you get some more rest because if you're not at the top of your game and you don't feel good when I walk in the door, if I think that I'm not doing, you know, the best I can do as, or as a husband and as a father, um, that weighs on me. Mm-hmm. And if that's weighing on me, it's going to weigh on me in my job. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's all compounded. Being a father and being a husband are, are the greatest things of my life. I love what I do. I love my career, but ultimately they're the ones I'm making decisions for. They're the ones I'm working for. Uh, they're the ones I try to do my job to the best of my ability and grow so that I can put food on the table for them. And ultimately, if it, I want to be an AD and I hope that's the case, but if I can't be an AD and also satisfy my family and, and make sure we're on the same page, that's where you're going to have those tough conversations of, where, where does the path take you and what are the what are the places that you need to go whether that's culture of a new school that you're heading to or that's has the culture changed at the institution that you're at or making sure you're understanding the pulse of your uh your your the people that you're managing you have to ask them you know, am, am i doing the same it should be trickle down but are there any stops uh do you feel like you have the ability to be open be honest and that you're not you know, if you're asking for a day, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at you <laughs> because that's the truth. Um, there are times of the year that are busier than others and everyone knows that. And if you have to go because of a family wedding or emergency, or you just hit a wall, then you have to do that. You have to be a part of that. Um, and that's what we preach here. And, and that's what I try to do, but it's, it's certainly not easy. I know, you know, that Ashley, and you've talked about it. I know that more and more now. Uh, and that was a big transition too, from being a frontline fundraiser, uh, being out on the road now, pandemic aside, because right. that, that changed a lot for all of our fundraisers. But uh, I knew that as I grew, I also wanted to try some things. And, and uh, this helped me be home a little bit more because I wasn't necessarily going to be on the road as things opened up. Uh, and that factored into it. Uh, I also think that this area of work for me fits my thought process and how I think and some of the strategy behind that. I love fundraising. I love doing that and, and being a part of that and being an AD and being in that next step. I wanted to know both sides, but it also helps understanding what is the work-life balance of both sides, being a frontline fundraiser on the road, being someone who's just pushing things out internally. And how does that look as you grow to you know, senior associate AD, deputy AD, and, and eventually hopefully an athletic director. And um, I had a professor tell me one time, a mentor, that said, yes, you want to be an AD, but don't feel like you failed if you get to a point and you say, I'm okay with being at this level, mm-hmm. whether that be you know, pressure or opportunity given or not given to you, you haven't failed because of uh, where you're at. That might be your, your last stop. You might be a deputy or you might be, I might be in this role. This, this might be what I do. And I, I hope to continue to grow and challenge myself. But you have to look inside and say, you know what, my ultimate goal was this, but if this is, if, if a certain spot allows me to be exactly what I want to be or power five AD versus division three, you know, 
group of five, those are all, those all make changes. And it even comes down to this, you know, division three may be in a conference that you can drive to everything and be home after a football game versus flying across the country at a power five. Right. Yeah. Definitely touching on that. There's a lot that is changing in a good way, I think, especially in this industry. Um, But I do one one thing I learned just from my past experience, I kind of touched on it. You touched on it, but everyone touches on it. And it's like, the culture so important. And that is one thing I have taken away from my past experiences. I sit in an interview every single time and I'm like, tell me about your culture. And I was like, in the sense of, I explain what I experienced in the past. And I'm like, this is what I need. And if you can't give me that, then like we're wasting our time and nice (laughs) words. I don't say it like that, but I'm saying like, don't be afraid to be like, this is what I need from you to be successful and like be at my best and give you 110 or 100% and go beyond if it can't be met, then like, you're not going to get the best version of me. And so I think you speaking on that, like you found that and you're, it's, it's good. And like you doing that in the leadership role, the team that you see, and it trickles down and that's great. And I think students should learn that more in the sense of like it is okay to ask for help or be like hey I just need this because of this personal reasons whatever you don't have to fully share all your stuff just know like there's a space for that um and I always had that until recently and so like that's where I was like what are you talking about So like, I think what you're saying is like, it's great, but it just doesn't happen everywhere, but it goes, it speaks volumes to say like, okay, there is places out there for you to do that. Correct. There continues to be a stigma and we need to continue to go out there and break down those walls of mental health, asking for help, whether that's, you know, asking for help for personal reasons or asking for help because you you were given a project that you might need some extra help on because it's stressing you out. It's okay. You haven't failed yet. And you need to be open and honest. And to your point of, you don't need to share your whole life story or sit down on the couch and spill it to to whoever in your office, but you need to feel comfortable enough to uh, go out there and, and, and be in a culture that will allow you to um, do what you need to do because (laughs) I struggle with it. Um, Mental health is, is in everyone and on a, any type of way, uh, there's a range. Um, there are things that you might need to talk to your best friend. There may be more professional help. There may be uh, groups or managing stress and whatever it may be. It's okay. Um, simple things as I can remember in, in graduate school, I went to some some programs through the University Health Center that allowed you just how do you manage some stress? And that was just more for me. How do I do little coping mechanisms? And it was you know put your feet flat on the floor and wiggle your toes and feel grounded and all these little things. And I'm not ashamed to to say that because you might need to do that and and you might need to take those, uh, those steps, whatever it may be. And um, it makes you feel a lot better. I I have a lot of uh, internal things that I need to to accomplish myself. Um, I've been very fortunate in my life and to have a wonderful family, a wonderful support system. Um, But you need to surround yourself with good people and ask those mentors and ask those people the, the questions and, and put it out there. Um, and you need to surround yourself with people that aren't going to tell you exactly what you want to hear, right. because that's not a mentor and that's not progress. Um, 
that's a that's a fan of yours yes. and you can have some fans of yours but you need to have people that look at you and uh, can answer honestly and, and tell you where you need to go and, and tell you how to shape it up and um, you know be able to get better because you you're not going to get better if you're always told the things that you know uh, you know already or you know that your opinions are the same as other people right um that kind of goes into just advice for students but I do want to um plug in kind of something Pate had said to me uh is that I he had you as a student right yes yes yeah we had a class yeah. okay he Pate kind of said you were always professional even when you were a student what advice would you share with current students on being a professional? That kind of goes into just advice for students. Well, I appreciate, I know Justin, not all, but I appreciate that from, from Dr. Pate. Um, and I, a lot of people called me Brad the dad or an old soul. Um, so I, I do get made fun of for some of that stuff of uh, being a little more on the professional side or more serious uh, at times. But it, you know, you can be, be true to yourself. And that's a mantra my, my mother always told me. And I keep that going. You, you have to be true to yourself. You might not be, you know, being professional is, is being courteous and making sure you're treating everyone in your class, whether they're your peer or your professor uh, or guest speakers coming in, treating them with respect. Uh, that's the most important thing. Just because I did it one way or you're, you know, maybe, maybe watched me or Pete said something or, or people ask me and I've had the fortunate experience to have people come in after a class or come into my office and ask me what I do. And, you know, I, I tell them what I, what I would do in a certain situation or explain that. Um, but I take those as little snippets of how do you create that as your own way of being professional? How do you go about asking questions? And you may be an extrovert, extrovert or an introvert. These are all things that, you know, Dr. Warner, who was here at JMU for a long time, he would always come in and say, you know, I, I'm an introvert, but you would never know it because he geared up. And I know probably plenty of people have heard his speeches, but it was always fascinating to me to know that that is somebody that classifies as an introvert, but you would never know on the outside. And that might take a heck of a lot of work and he may need to recharge by going reading a book or being by themselves and then being in a crowd. You're going to go about things very differently and that's okay. Uh, be, be true to who you are and, and how, you, how you make it. But You've got to be respectful and, you know, utilize your time as a student. And I think one of the things that mentors told me as a student and the way I was you know, raised was go out and ask the questions and take advantage of your time. And you're never too cool for something like office hours. You might think, oh, I don't want to go to office hours. I'm not the nerd or I'm not this. It's not about that. You go to office hours, I'm trying to build a relationship with somebody who then is going to turn around and be like, well, this kid's in my office hours. And I actually, you know, they spent five, 10 minutes to tell me what their dreams are. And I absolutely, I have 10 people they should now go talk to. Well, you've gotten the advantage there because that's not going to be said in class necessarily because not everyone has the chance with now, I mean, our class size was much smaller than the hard school when I went through it, but now 50 to hundred people could be in a foundations class. And if I don't go to the office hour and show that I respect the time of the professor and what they're trying to do for me, then they're, they're going to do that for, you know, turn around and help me get to where I want to go. And I would not be here without the professors in the hard school. And I learned that really quickly. I, I'm thankful for all of our 
professors in, in the hard school and you know everybody that is a part of this has helped us get to where we are pushed us and that's because of what I did after class uh, and the relationships I built at 18 19 years old uh, and they provided that as you know you're struggling through life you're struggling through uh, ad adapting to college and being on your own and trying to figure out how to cook and do laundry and all these things that weigh on you. These are the people that are here to help you and you need to take advantage of that. So that would be my advice there is be true to yourself. Um, not, you're not going to, you're going to take snippets from people, but make it your own uh, and then go out and, you know, take advantage of the people that are here to help you. Uh, and the informational questions and interviews, like if you're a student, you walk in and say, I want to hear you talk about yourself. Anyone's going to take you up on that. Right. And they're, going to give you, <laughs> they're going to give you free advice. I try to do that a little bit here now. But if I ask somebody like an AD at another school, they might think I'm trying to ask for a job, no matter if I am or not. But as a student, it's a clean slate. Like You're not asking for anything. And you know what? The more times you sit down with those people, the more they're going to remember you. So when there is a job, they're going to think, oh, that 18-year-old asked me out of, uh, out of the blue to have a phone conversation. And now it's five, six years later and they're asking for a job at my school when I was a deputy and now I'm the AD and I'm gonna hire them. Yeah. Um, it's not about going out and making connections to get a job. It's about going out, building relationships to build friendships, get to know these people on a personal level so that when there is a job, you're the one they're calling, mm -hmm. not the other way around. Like you're not calling them for a job. They should be calling you for a job because of what you've done. And it's hard. It, oh gosh, it, it hard. sounds simple, but it's very hard. It is hard to do that. I'm sitting here thinking about, I'm like, oh, crap, I need to go reach out to that person. <laughs> but it's hard. It, it's hard. Yeah. And you know, like life happens. But, you know, if you pick up that phone or call them and be like, hey, how's life? You guys will just have a conversation and you're just checking in. Right. You don't need to really talk about the industry. You can just talk to just chat with them. And it's kind of weird that I'm on now both sides. Like I have students that reach out to me now are like, Ashley, I want to talk about this. I'm like, great. And I'm still doing the same thing, but we're always going to be doing that. So I think that's great advice. With that too, is we all have a turning point. Uh, me and Pate kind of talked about it. Everyone's talked about it in their career and kind of what was your, what was your turning point in a sense of you were like, this is what I like, this is where I, what I, what I want to do. Like your turning point into getting into the industry and you're like, yep, I'm here. This is what I'm doing. I would love to say like, oh, my turning point was sophomore year when I wrote that paper and I've been on the path, but like, no, that, that's not the turning point. That is the entry point. Been on that path because of that, you know, leaping off point and that excitement. But a true turning point was Probably after grad school, I had the opportunity to work in a lot of different areas, a lot of different parts of college athletics. I have, you know, stepped up from volunteer to intern to, you know, practicum to intern to then graduate assistantship, thought I might want to be in the student athlete leadership world. And that's a big difference. I mean, everyone that's in college athletics can be an AD. So there's no right or wrong path. And I want to make that clear. I know I picked development as one of my paths, but you can get it from anywhere um, as long as you believe in it. So I'm, I'm sitting there and figuring out, all right, well, I know I can do it. It's myself and I'll work hard no matter where I go. I can find a way to be an AD. Was it this path? Was it marketing? Was it 
fundraising. Then you had the little birdie on your shoulder saying, wow, I've been to Nursa twice. I've worked at UREC. These people know exactly what they're doing. I had talked to Ben and Julie, other people that were involved in campus recreation, sat down with a bunch of mentors and sat down with a bunch of people in college athletics and a bunch of people in campus recreation. They both made unbelievable points. I actually was in an interview process for a job to be a sport club council uh, president at another university. And that would, I would like was doing the interview. Like I, I was believing in it that much. It wasn't just, Hey, you know, this is where it's at. You just throw it in. I had gotten to uh, a layer of that and had met with some people and that was a turning point. What do I want to do with my life? And that was going to decide what my first step was going to be yeah. uh, full time. You know, I, I think it would have been great in any one of those paths. I know I picked the right one for me. Western Carolina was, I went down there, did the interview. And like I said, I was driving back and they gave me a phone call and they were like, you got it. Like, do you want it? And I'm like, I got this eight hour drive back home. Like what's going on? Can I call some people first? I actually drove off the exit and sat in a parking lot of like a random store in the middle of nowhere in North Carolina. Might've been Tennessee. I don't remember how far I got, but it was like an hour into that trip back and I'm calling everybody. No one's answering. And I finally people calling back and I'm calling mentors. I'm calling Catherine, you know, my girlfriend at the time, I'm calling my parents and I'm trying to make this decision like in a parking lot. Um, it finally hit me about that turning point, And I decided I got emotional. Like, I was like, this is my life. Like, what do I do here? Like, what am I? Like, if I pick this, like, I have to stick with it and I have to live in this place and dawned on me after all these things that people said, and they went through the process of, well, what if you were to get a campus recreation job? What if you were to get to fundraising? What if you were to tomorrow get a call from XYZ school in another fundraising opportunity? Um, what does that look like? I finally, you know, I, I told myself that I need to take this. I don't know much about the school. It's my first fundraising job. I do know it's really hard to tap into this market and get my first job. And if I turn this down, you know, no matter how confident I am, there might not be another job. Yeah. And it was a school that they told me up front. They were like, we have success in a lot of different sports, but there's also a lot of sports that aren't as successful or have had heydays and we're in a lull right now. And fundraising through that, I knew if I could find you know, donors and people that are passionate about that and turn every rock and fundraise at a school that they told me up front what it was gonna be like, that it was gonna be hard, that that was gonna teach me how to fundraise and teach me how to be a better fundraiser. And I, I learned how to grind. And I learned how to, you know, talk about a university I knew nothing about because everyone says, hey, oh, did you go here? Oh, no. But, you know, what, tell me more about your experience. And I started to get to know, oh, this was when we were, they were good at football. And this was when, you know, and that you became or, you know, you became a we at Western and you, you start to realize that um, that was a huge turning point. I would not be who I am as a fundraiser. I would not be who I am as an athletic person. Um without Western Carolina and working that first job. And that's awesome. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's cool when you say like, oh, we turn into we, you see that in everyone's like journey when they start to say we, and I'm like, oh, you're claiming it now. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's always exciting. 
But to wrap us up, the last thing I have is what is the mantra you live by? Oh, um, I've mentioned both of them, actually. Uh, one of them, my mother always told me and still does, is be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, you can only be the best version of you. No one can tell you how to be you. No one can, you know, force you to be somebody else. Um, and you have to quicker you come to terms with that, the better and being comfortable. And there's times I get nervous because maybe someone's doing something else. Should I be doing that? Or should I try to be like that person? Um, and it's an internal struggle, but at the end of the day, you got to be confident in who you are. And if people are going to accept you and, and love you for who you are, um, that's when it gets you, uh, gets you to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. The other one is, you know, the name on the front is a heck of a lot more important than the one on the back from Miracle and Coach Brooks. And I've always loved that uh, because it's a team. We're a team at the Duke Club. We're a team here at JMU. We represent, I'm not representing Brad Burgess, I'm representing JMU uh, when I come to work and, and when I talk to donors and when they call me and ask me things and how can I be the best uh, steward of them or the best, build the best relationship and, and show them how great JMU is. Great advice. Well, it has been lovely having you on, Brad. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it's been busy, but yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you, Ash. And, you know, this is, it's really been an honor.